Scuba Obsessed, a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places a dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 404 is recorded live May 9th, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where we're now cursed by mowing lawn. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, my lawn has been mowed three days ago, and uh, I think the crop this year is going to be rice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have been getting quite a bit of pre- precipitation. I've mowed my lawn three times in the last eight days. So, uh, but it's it's one of those that if it's not raining, you better mow because you don't know when your next chance is. If you if you go six or seven days without mowing, it's going to be knee deep. Uh, I don't know how you can go six or seven days though, because then you well, need a thresher. It, you certainly do. It just gets it gets too deep. Well, that's not too bad for you though. You got horses. You can bale that <laughs> that grass and then. Yeah. You know, you don't need hay. Uh, you you would think that is. The problem is when it's this wet, if you let horses out in your yard, you think a mole's bad. <laughs> oh, horse hoof prints, uh, you lose Ooh. somebody in. Yeah, they. My, my wife likes to let the horses in from the pasture by letting them loose. And like any creature or kid, uh, they there's it's not a straight line from the pasture to the barn. They got to go dance all through the, the nice... Uh, manicured yard so yeah, well, i lost course. that battle a long time ago so uh, it's it's part of my routine is to sift dirt in the hoof print holes <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the the moisture we've been getting quite a bit of rain and i noticed that all the creeks are are swollen up quite a the, bit if if you go down the saint joe river the sea walls mm-hmm. you can walk from the deck of the boat on the land. <laughs> yes. No, I'm, I'm looking at it the day I went by it, and it's like, wait a minute, that's not even a foot. And the yeah. boats are riding so high, you have to step down to get down off, off the boat. Yeah, and I can remember uh, Yeah, when they, they talked about one of the high watermarks, uh, which was at the early 80s. Yeah. Is that, yeah, like, yeah, like 81. I can remember when that happened. My grandfather had marinas at that time, and... Yeah, he was, he was commenting about all the work. Yeah, he had, I think it, that 80s was after a couple of years of dry. So they had spent all this effort lowering the docks so that people, you know, weren't, didn't have to jump four feet off the top of the, the dock down into their boat. And they think he just got them lowered. And then they had that, that high level mark that year and it flooded everything. Every, every river and park was, uh, was over the banks. You go and look at all the photos, many photos through the last 150 years, the St. Joe area, and it's either high or low. And if it's in the middle, that's only because it's going lower, going high. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was looking at some pictures the other day for a program I'm doing, and it's like, talk about the islands in the middle. They've been Mm -hmm. there before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just a natural course of a river. If you look at that, when you look at a valley like we do that the St. Joe River uh, navigates through, that valley is that wide because that's how the the river path over time will go. You have oxbows and channel changes, and we've actually made it less likely for some of those things to happen by uh, doing the hard shorelines. Uh, you kind of trying to constrain the river, and well, you're going to have the- that goes even back to Pawpaw. Part of the program I'm doing, I, I was doing a little research, is when people buy the houses, they want to make their property more valuable, so they put a seawall. And then they put their dock on top of the seawall out and do their pilings. Well, without the natural slope of the land, the you know the swell and the shock absorber effect that has is gone. And when the wave action and currents come up and hits the seawall, that rebounds back out in weird ways that creates issues throughout the, in our case, like Pawpaw Lake. Mm-hmm. So it, you almost can't do anything to nature that you don't cause another reaction that's not necessarily good. Yes, yeah. We don't know enough about what we're doing to either prevent or cause <laughs> different reactions intentionally. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I'd like to thank everybody who we have in the chat room this week. We have Eric and Karen and uh, Derek are, are all joining us in there. So the the diehards are all in early today. Uh, this first article we have, and I think this one was from, uh, which magazine was this, Mac? Undercurrent. Uh, Undercurrent. So first few are, are from Undercurrent. And we have Ocean Reef's full face mask recall. It says not to be confused with the age, the area snorkeling mask of the same Italian manufacturer. U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission are recalling about a thousand Ocean Reef Neptune Space integrated diving masks made between March and November 2018. They represent a potential hazard due to possible restricted airflow. Check if your mask is affected by comparing its serial number with those listed at OceanReefGroup.com. If yours is included, return the mask to where you bought it for a free replacement or refund. So th- this, uh, they said well, not to be um, confused with with snorkeling mask, but I'm confused. Is it a snorkeling mask or is it a regular dive mask? I don't know since I have not looked them up. But my point, I suppose, I was going to make is like we talked about before. We see it here in undercurrent, whether we have it or don't. Mm-hmm. I would hope that people who bought these are somehow notified. Well, but then again, if, if you don't register your equipment and dive mask, you normally don't. How would you know? You know okay. what I mean? They can't even do a recall. That's like the dive hoses and stuff. How do you get the word out if you don't? Like we do occasionally, we see something, we broadcast it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess somebody could. Go and do a recall list of all dive equipment. But, um, so I, I just visited the website oceanreefgroup.com and they have a link on the right side that says recall information, all cap capital letters. Uh, so here I'm going to click on the Ocean Reef Q&A script. So uh, they've set up a toll-free number. 
which uh, we won't read it on the air, but you can go and visit that website, oceanreefgroup.com, and get all the information. It says, why is Ocean Reef conducting this recall related to its integrated diving mass? Okay, so that tells me right there that it's not the snorkel, that it's actually the dive mask with the regulator. It says, we're conducting this voluntary recall to keep the customer safe, prevent injury. The diving mask regulator can cause restricted airflow, poising, posing an injury hazard to divers. Now, they're saying it's a voluntary recall, but do you, you don't do voluntary recalls through the uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission, do you? I don't really know. Because to me, if it's gotten to that point, is it really voluntary or is it one of those things like if your boss asks you to resign, you resign, you're not fired. <laughs> is that kind of the same thing? You know, if I, if I fess up to it before it quite reaches the, the criteria for recall and I, and I voluntarily recall it, is, is that a better thing? Uh, so that, yeah. <laughs> it says how to determine if they're including a recall. And they said, check the serial number, which is laser engraved, engraved on the housing. Compare it with the number reported in a recall notice and the press release recall poster are on the website. Uh, so really, uh, and then they, they do some more. And we're not going to go through them all, but it, the critical point is March 21st, 2018 through November 8th, 2018. If you bought it before March 21st, it's not yours. Then you're not part of the recall. Uh, but if you've bought it you know, anytime from, I'd say, March 21st till now, you need to check because you don't know what that inventory was. Was that inventory manufactured between there? So you should take a look. Um, it says there's been no injuries or deaths related to the defect. Uh, they should stop. They, they're recommending you stop using the equipment immediately and then uh, do the recall. And they're saying even if it appears to be okay, don't use it. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was thinking, well, if it's not having an issue, do you have to worry about it? And then you said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how do you know? And then what conditions is that under? Is the defect that, you know, deeper you go, the worse it is. Uh, Derek in the chat room saying it sold for $700 and $1,600. That means you probably registered that one. Yeah. Well, and also I would think that the dive shops, they should be contacting the dive shops because this is at least the dive shops that we frequent. They're not selling 20 of these a year. They're yeah. selling two, two or three would be a busy year unless you have some sort of special program that's using them. But then again, you would know who, who all those individuals were. So it would probably be easier if they contact the dive shops and have the dive shops track them down because most dive shops uh, know their equipment customers. Uh, especially the high-end ones. Yeah. People spending that kind of money are going to want to make sure it's taken care of. Yeah, you want them to come back. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> yeah. And then they, here's another one. Uh, this is why whales beach themselves. Possibly. Uh, yeah. Uh, divers know that fast descents can kill. Whales don't. Studied proceedings of the Royal Society highlights a link between naval sonar and mass strandings of whales. Researchers in Las Palmas, Spain, believe the animals could be victims of decompression sickness caused by fear. They found that nitrogen bubbles in the veins of 
stranded dead uh i want to say crustaceans but i'm not that's not it uh, uh can have blood clots in several of their organs it's one of those words i know how to pronounce it but i can't just right now when the whales swim fast enough to move away from sonar their heart rate increases causing dcs can you get dcs with a breath hold i did I not think so i was thinking that's why they said that these animals frequently don't i mean right we'd covered that or or maybe they're saying it's because of the you know asymmetric uh you know if if you're going down slowly because you're you're breathing air in a surface so you you do have nitrogen but you go down and you come up i guess if you went down slow and you come up fast yeah i'm, I'm not you'd sure you have to have a heck of an intake and how long did you stay down What's the absorption yeah. rate? And they said they had too much fat in their body. Yeah. That's where the nitrogen was. So, yeah, so yeah. I hear what they're saying, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's definitive. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it, it, maybe they're trying, this is how they're, they're trying to get some money for some studies. But I wasn't thinking that was possible. But I guess that's why they, they're publishing it, to try and convince us another way. <laughs> And it says, remaining airtime equals remaining range. It says, remember, we used to watch the fuel gauge in our cars and wonder how far the last bit of fuel would get us. Unfortunately, low-on-air divers don't have the option to walk with a can to the nearest gas station. Looking at a standard pressure gauge with its needle in the red section can be unsettling, to say the least. That's why more divers are now opting for gas integration and using a hoseless transmitter fitted to the regular first stage. Remaining airtime displays... A similar range indicator in a modern car and accounts for your breathing rate and depth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a good tool. Uh, I, do you think people using this are over-relying on it? I have never used one, and I don't intend to use one. I like my hose to my pressure gauge. I Our type of diving is not such that my breathing rate, changing by my exertion rate, like we're in the river, it's going yeah. to make a difference. We get low on air, we come up. Right. So I'm not sure why I would want to go hoseless. Well, what I've liked about the hoseless idea and concept is that uh, we've covered some of these dive computers where you can not only monitor your air, but your buddy's air. So if you had a, a less experienced diver, it'd be nice to be able to keep track of it, and then also maybe even log it. Well, then again, you could run over to your buddy and look at his gauge. Yeah. I mean, if you're that far away that you can't, are you still a good buddy diver, right? Well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm with an arm, arm length, uh, I would think that'd be good. But you know, do, you, do I need to be showing how little confidence I have in my, my rookie dive buddy by checking the air every two minutes? I mean, we we know enough to know if I've, asked you two minutes ago and you had, you know, 1800 pounds and I don't see like a stream of bubbles coming up constantly. I know you, you know, two minutes later, you're, you're still going to have a reasonable amount of air. Yeah. And you can usually tell who the big dogs are. Oh yeah. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, but the big dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, well, as how about opposed- explain it in case somebody out there doesn't. 
what well, the the big dog meaning big dog the, breathing does yeah well to me and maybe i'm i'm uh, using terminology a little bit different than you are but to me the big the bigger you are the quicker you're going through air and uh, usually the less experienced and more excited you are you breathe like a big dog you're going <laughs> because you're oh, excited I see. I see what you're saying there and a yeah. newbie yeah. quite often is that because he's apprehensive a bit yeah and yeah. you know we usually yeah. tag team those people really close yeah, and and you can see the bubbles just how they're coming up. It's like it, it's a, it, there's always a bubble coming up, and you get this huge mushroom cloud bubble followed by a big trail <laughs> of little bubbles, and then a big mushroom cloud bubble, and it just you know on the surface it looks like uh, somebody running a pump underwater. Uh, yeah, and and if that's you, don't feel bad. You'll eventually get through it, but uh, it's not unusual for somebody in their first you know, dozen or so dives to not be as air friendly. Um, and it, it's a good indication if you're uh, the dive buddy, uh, those are the signals you want to look for. Cause that sometimes can be panic or, right. or something and else. That's the other reason that when you start out, you start out slow, you don't go deep. So you get used to it. If you're at 120 feet and you start breathing like that, that's a problem. Oh, big yeah. problem. But if you're at 15 and 20 feet cruising around, it ain't a big problem. Well, and that would be interesting to to dig through some of Dan's numbers. Uh, You know, when the rookie divers are having problems, is it, I bet, and they run out of air, it's probably a combination of that type of breathing and then being too deep because that breath, you know, five rapid breaths at 100 feet, is quite a bit more air than five rapid breaths at 15 feet. And being aware that you're doing that, so you're watching your gauge, so you aren't surprised. Yep. And then here's uh, another one, skulls and boobs. Diver Stuart Vernon was on social media to pose a question. Why do so many scuba t-shirt designers make it look like scubas for ex-Navy SEALs or some sort of badass when most of us are nice people? When conservation is now in the public mind, who do you think gives us the wrong? Would you wear a t-shirt and bra or somewhere fitting for one of the Hell's Angels? Tell us about the worst t-shirt design you've seen. And they're asking that you email uh, Ben D. Davis at undercurrent.org. Like to see what he gets for that. that oh, yeah. Hopefully he gets some good ones. I have not seen uh, bad dive t-shirts. Uh, I haven't either. It, but, I, but I mean, it's, it's probably filtered out by the type of people we know. They're not, they're not going to buy the uh, boob T-shirt. Well, maybe they would. I, maybe not just wear it out where we see it. But uh, I, that, that may be true, you know. Uh, yeah. I know but, I wouldn't but, wear one like that because I've got kids, especially like girls, and that's just not right. Yeah, but then these, I, you know, the complaint about the ex Navy SEALs, and I know the ones he's talking about. It's like the, it's all dark T-shirt, maybe some gray or silver lettering, and it's got a skull, and the, you know, there would be a, like a giant dive knife or a spear or something. And I, but think they do that, look cool. They look well, cool. They, <laughs> well, they do, but it's it's the style. I mean, it's like it's a it's something that's current in the last ten or fifteen years, kind of dive. Like a tattoo culture type of approach, and uh, I don't know who this guy is, but I mean, do we call him out for being old? Which, <laughs> I, find, 
<laughs> so uh, it's what people want to buy. I mean, if you're a t-shirt manufacturer in the dive industry, you're going to do that, or is it? You know, I, I think that's. I think that's probably they're doing it because it sells. Oh yeah. If it didn't, you wouldn't make it. Yeah, and and I know where he's probably seeing it. You're probably seeing it on Facebook. If you've tagged that you like us, which we hope you do, uh, or you've meant you know tagged some you know likes for other dive things, that's enough to send the Facebook uh, people to say, "Hey, here's a diver. Let's send him some ads on dive equipment and T-shirts." Uh, seems to be one of the more common ones. Yeah, I'd like to see the ones he comes up with. Yeah. Yeah, so subscribe to Undercurrent, and I bet you you'll see something in there. And then here we have uh, some a tragedy down in the southern hemisphere, in uh, Australia. It says, scuba diver dies after being struck by speed boot, speed boot, speed boat in Port Phillip Bay. Said police are searching for a diver of a boat that struck a scuba diver in Port Phillip Bay on Sunday afternoon, killing the diver despite efforts with paramedics to save him. The diver, a man in his 20s, is hit by a boat between Frankston and Mornington shortly before 1 p.m. The passing boat picked up the injured diver and his partner and conveyed him to Frankston Pier. Uh, paramedics performed CPR on the man, but he died on the pier. The second diver, also in his 20s, did not need medical assistance. A police boat and helicopter had been deployed in the investigation. Marine investigation unit detectives are investigating the divers' deaths and any, uh, urging anyone who may have witnessed the incident or knows the identity of the driver of the boat to contact the Crime Stoppers, and they give a number. And then we, thanks to, uh, uh, was it Derek? Yeah, Derek. Was it Derek? I'm, I'm mixing up my notes here. Uh, we've got a follow-up, and it said a man was arrested, then released by police. Uh, a 41-year-old man from Curham Downs in Melbourne's southeast was arrested yesterday after he contacted police. That man has now been released pending further inquiries, Victoria Police said in a statement. Yesterday, Water Police Senior Sergeant Alabaster Nisbet said that Dead man's diving partner had waved to the skipper of a vessel suspected to have been involved in an incident to alert them the presence of the pair. Senior Sergeant Nisbet said that after the diver and the skipper had a conversation, a boat moved out of the area, and the man found his friend with significant injuries. He said it was possible the skipper did not realize they had hit the diver. He would not provide a description of the boat other than to say it was a recreational-style vessel. The divers had taken safety precautions. Police swarmed the local boat ramps on Sunday, interviewing operators obtaining vessel registrations as police and Coast Guard vessels and the police helicopter searched for the boat. The two men had several years of diving experience and done everything that was required to signal their presence in the water, including using a buoy and a flag. Boat operators and jet skis are required to slow down to five knots within 100 meters of a diving flag. Uh, like diving in Italy or Thailand, uh, Jeremy West of the Australian Volunteer Coast Guard said it was easier to get a license to operate a boat than to drive a car. Despite the challenges of operating a boat, including weather, currents, tides, drivers, diver flags, and passing vessels, restricted maneuverability. As far as we're concerned, seeing a range of incidents in the water, boats are just as deadly, if not more, in some cases, in cars. 
He said, while boat licensing tests cover matters such as diver safety, many boat operators don't seem to retain the information. You ask people a couple years later if they had a boat license about that kind of stuff, and it's not like a lot of people remember about diving flags and those kind of things. Luke English, president of Dive Industry of Victoria Association, said the lack of practical boat handling experience along with many boat operators caused, caused chaos in the bay during the busiest weeks of the summer. Come that five weeks of the year, you've got half the people that know what they're doing, half the people don't know what they're doing. It's like uh, driving in Italy or Thailand. Police are appealing for anyone with information, though. And I guess that's more information. So if you're in India, India, Italy, or Thailand, you should be insulted. <laughs> There's, are they saying that uh, those two are terrible drivers? Well, I have driven in Italy, and uh, it's a challenge if you're not used to that kind of traffic. Well, the, in the first article, my question was, were they diving the flag? And it's it's uh, been determined that they were. That was my first question I would have had. Yeah. Yep. And it, so it sounds like the the one diver, you know, like popped up because maybe the boat was getting too close and flagged the guy down and said, hey, you know, stay away. But it appears that at that point it was too late, you know, that uh, maybe he had already been injured. Seems like it happens everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Derek says uh, we're having a surfer-style memorial for him on Saturday, the 25th of May at 8 a.m. Did he know him? Um, doesn't say. Yeah, he says they each had a flag, and they had buoys out, too. And he said, no, not personally. So. Oh, okay. Um, and then Karen, also in the chat room, has a, a, a photo of a T-shirt, which, I don't Yeah, I mean, it's... I, yeah, the, definitely the the graphic style now, this uh, kind of heavy metal industrial look. Where do I go to see the flag she put up? It's in uh, uh, Discord in the chat room. Uh, in the live show chat is the... Uh, I see pictures of our house. Oh, okay, I got it. Skull? Yeah. Yep. I, I, is that so macho or is that... I, but it's a it's a style. I mean that I've seen some that are a little bit more macho than that, and they do look like something you would see on a Marines T-shirt. I can see it on the back of my leather jacket on a motorcycle. Yeah, I just put Roadhog on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's a a press release, and uh, not so much diving related as a kind of ancillary to it, but the website scuba.com has been awarded a brand trademark on scuba.com. It says, since just about the time the internet was born, we've been working to trying to secure the trademark for our brand. This is not an easy process, and one essentially selects a noun as their name. This is uh, Melinda Hurdon, CEO of scuba.com. All that changed this week when the United States Patent and Trademark Office has added scuba.com to the trademark registry. Besides the fact it's a recognition that we are a brand, it's also going to really help us with our Google ad spend. Presently, we invest a good chunk of our ad budget just trying to defend our trading name. We can now use that to spend in more exciting ways. 
Melinda urges all new business owners to set a distinctive name that can easily be defended and one that can be locked down in every possible way, trademark, social media, URL. Uh, every ounce of entrepreneurial energy that you invest is good ROI uh, if it enhances the brand value. The last piece of advice she offers on the subject is important to have a tiny bit of crush on the name you ascribe to your business. It's sort of like naming your kids. You want to have that sound hit your head hard every time when you hear it. So you fall in love with the name you assign your bouncing baby business. See, I think I'm early not sure on, about. Are you sure about that? I mean, how do you feel about being able to use yeah. a noun like that? Add a calm to it, and it's yours. Well, I, I, well, for one thing, I mean, it, you, you got to look at what the essence of a trademark was. And the essence of a trademark is if you were a craftsman, you put that mark on your piece, and that meant that that was you know you were the jeweler, swordsmith, or whatever. And that was yours. So somebody couldn't copy and pretend to be you. And that's a purpose, originally the purpose of trademark, which has morphed over time. Uh, in the early days of the internet, everybody, it was like a land grab. And everybody wanted the, whatever industry they're in, they wanted that industry.com. So scuba.com, trucks.com faxmachines.com. So everybody did the .com. And that was because we didn't have good search engines. So when you, if you remember, you know, I'm an old guy when it comes to the internet, you would just type in a name, add .com to it and see what came up. So some of these brands, or not even brands, but some of these nouns with .com added at the end, we're trading for hundreds of thousands and up to millions of dollars because everybody thought people are stupid. Well, it, it then became, you know, when it got cost prohibitive, you then came up with names that meant nothing just so it was unique. I mean, you know, look at Google. I mean, what, what did Google mean? Uh, or, you know, Yahoo. So you, you started having, you know, unique names. And to build a brand on something so obvious as this, I think it was, uh, in hindsight, would be a poor decision. And today, if you were starting a new business, I agree with what she's saying. Uh, make sure you can get to trademark social media and URL. And that's what you do. I mean, if you come up with a business name you like, if you can't get that in a reasonable, if, if somebody's got the .com version of that, you probably need to pick a different name. Because then you've got some confusion, even if you can get the brand or the trademark for it. Uh, and my question is, is it really going to save them money? So they're investing all this this money in it. It doesn't mean that somebody else can't use the word scuba in their article. So you could make one that says my scuba and then buy another that says myscubas.com and really um, confuse the issue. Well, and now that that is where some of the protection of a trademark comes in. If it's concluded that you're doing it to create confusion or that you're, you know, that your name is close enough, you know, like in the case of myscuba.com, scuba could, you know, scuba.com could say, hey, you're in the same type of business, you know, 
you know, this, 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 uh, we think people are going to be confused by it. Therefore, uh, yeah, we think, yeah, well, of but course you're going to think that, that, but they have to defend it. I mean, like, you know, the, the, there's not like a, the trademark police coming out there and, uh, you know, acting on your behalf, you have to go and hire a lawyer, have them send cease and desist and all these other layer letters and say, you've got the brand. But I think if you've had my scuba, even if it it was after you had scuba dot com, I think you're gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to find a judge who's gonna rule in your favor. Uh, and the the your your ad, Google ad spend isn't gonna go down because you still want to rank high in that. They're assuming that Google's gonna go oh because you got the trademark we're gonna rank you higher maybe a little bit, but. Um, where I've seen this be more effective is you pick a different brand and you've got, uh, you know, Midwest subaquatics or something. And then you own the scuba.com domain. And when somebody types that in, it, it redirects to your, your brand. That's more effective, but, uh, yeah. And it's, and just because the, uh, patent office and trademark office is, is granted that to them, it doesn't mean it can't be contested. Somebody could say, I disagree with that. So, and that, I think, I, I wonder if that, a little bit of her advice at the end was regretting naming it scuba.com and wishing she had picked something else. It's sort of like naming your kids. You want to have that sound hit your heart every time you hear it. <laughs> so, is that meaning she doesn't anymore? Um, yeah, and then the chat room they're saying uh, Eric says I dot com to myself, and that's uh, in especially in the tech industry that's that's a a good thing. You take your name and put dot com on the end of it, and you know, you, you need a site for any purpose. Uh, you you get you can spend money with uh, different places to have drive storage, but if you you for a really low amount of money. Uh, Get get your domain name and then use web hosting. And you've got all that storage. Um, and then this one's from Chesapeake Bay Magazine. It says a one of a kind group in Maryland is getting young girls in the science at the same time. The group Black Girls Die Foundation says African American girls are underserved in both swimming skills and STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math education. So the Baltimore County-based organization teaches both the aquatics-based lessons that girls can get scuba certified as early as middle school and even try out their skills in the Bahamas. And I watched the video. It's a mostly a video, uh, video article. And I think this is great because one thing I have noticed is that uh, both girls and uh, people with African-American backgrounds just don't, don't seem to be getting... Uh, into diving or even into swimming in general. And I don't know if that's just a cultural difference, why, what the cause of it is, but this, it was great to see uh, these girls get in the water and do stuff. And then they're uh, they're It's not just the diving, but they're really going into the math behind it. Uh, they were doing courses on uh, uh, underwater photography and photo corrections so the it was it wasn't just you know you get in the pool throw a mask on and play around in the water they were they were actually doing education so if you get somebody started young 
and you show them some of these other things, you, you, you reinforce those behaviors of uh, where the technical parts come in. And then uh, we have a shipwreck. Uh, World War II shipwreck off Long Island is leaking oil. Initial assessment of 77-year-old shipwreck off the coast of Long Island has found that a sunken tanker is leaking oil through two closed-together pinpoint leaks. The Coast Guard has contacted with Florida-based salvage company Resolve Marine Group to conduct a full assessment of the remaining oil aboard the British tanker. Um, was that Combra, which was hit by two torpedoes during World War II and sits in 185 feet of water about 30 miles southeast of Shinnecock, New York. Our aim is to safely do these assessments so we can determine the highest probability of where the oil product is located so we can take appropriate reactions to reduce any potential threat to the environment, said Captain Kevin Reed, commander of the Coast Guard sector Long Island Sound. Our top priorities are safety of the public and protection of the marine environment. Said complicating the efforts is that the vessel is 423 feet long, is broken to three parts, and is resting on the seaboard on its starboard side on the seafloor. And they go well, on. 42, if it was carrying 2.7 million gallons of oil, it's broken into three parts. It's interesting that how much do you still have there after? You know, right. 70 years. And they said that this is a pinhole leak. Now, is that proportional? Is a pinhole leak on a wreck that long, like a pen, like my finger? Or is it just they've corroded to the point where there's microscopic holes and oil is slowly weeping out? Uh, but the, I, uh, not to be insensitive, but I, I think that's bound to happen. I mean, if it didn't happen then, it'll eventually happen. Anytime you have that amount of oil down there. Uh, and, and the oil that on uh, those vessels, wasn't that, wouldn't that be like a bunker oil? Like a really heavy I'm not sure. Because there's some lubricating oil as opposed to Oh, so this is uh, maybe a, a That's a, a thin oil. It's lubricating. It's a petroleum product they were shipping as opposed to the oil used in the vessel. Which would make sense, a tanker carrying 2.7 million gallons. So it's just not the oil to run the the uh, the engines. This is uh, what it was hauling around of lubricating oil. Yeah, so that would be a much thinner, I would think, a lubricating oil would be. Just curious what part is leaking to. If it's three parts, was it really that well compartmentalized that it lasted 70 years on the bottom? Yeah. I mean, kudos to the people who built the boat to make it that long. Yeah, and that would have been a uh, corrosion aspect from the outside in, not from the inside out. Yeah, it says inspection of the wreck was supposed to happen last year, but was delayed twice. First due to finalizing contracts to resolve Marine, and then due to conditions associated with Hurricane Chris, which raised safety concerns for the operation. It's a pretty big boat that they yeah. got that they're they're taking out there. And then in our own backyard. Ah, I'm scared. I'm sorry. <laughs> have you have you ever seen that uh that show Expedition Unknown? Uh I think it was named Josh who's on there. And uh let me see if they show Josh Gates. Was that my I can hear her talking. Was that me or you? It's it's not me, I've muted it, so uh 
it was probably on yours. Uh, but I, I enjoy him on this show. Uh, he tends to try and go deep. He's an archaeologist. He travels the world in just about any subject. I mean, and he'll be all over the place. He'll be in Middle East. He'll be in Alaska. He'll be in you know the Great Lakes in this particular case. But uh, this says a local explorer featured on Discovery Channel search for lost shipwreck. And guess which one it is? It's the one that has only been discovered about 50 times so far, the Le Griffin. Says viewers, of the show can expect to go along with us an actual dive search, and this is uh, Valerie Van Heest is being quoted. Uh, French explorer Robert de Lasalle Griffin went missing somewhere in the Great Lakes in 1679, and 340 years since the bark's disappearance, 22 claims of discovery have been made on it. And here I thought I was exaggerating. Uh, one of the claims has yet to be debunked, and the one in a man of Canadians Manitoulin Island, which is pair of the province of Ohio, located in the northeastern corner of Lake Huron. A local shipwreck explorer Valerie Van Hees spent a week on Manitoulin Island August 2018 searching for Le Griffin. Her adventures is set to be featured on the television as part of an hour-long program entitled Expedition Unknown on Discovery Channel. Actually, I think she they were probably in the area where I think it's, it's actually got a chance of being there. So... I'll have to tune in and see see if they've they've given us any new information. What are your thoughts? Lots of luck. <laughs> they find the cannon. Right. They find the cannon, then they found. It. They don't find the cannon. Got it. If they don't find the cannon, it's just a stick. <laughs> that's correct. If you find or a the cannon, net holder or that yeah, well, whatever, whatever it is. There's just so many different things that it could be. So, uh. and they could get lucky and find the needle in the haystack. Yeah. If they had found it, do you think even with all the non-disclosures, they it would have been kept quiet? Well, they have to tell France because they said it belonged to them now, so they can't hide information from France, and they can't I, keep it a secret. So we'd I be think fine. What, yeah, I'm I'm okay with France uh, owning it. I think we just need to charge them storage. Yeah, you know, what what's the storage of a, of a military vessel go for these days? I don't know. You know porting port docking fees. Uh, you know, permitting. You know, did did they have you know they have their vessel numbers uh, put on the, the bow of it? I mean, it, all those rules are retroactive. True. I, I mean, do they have gun permits to have that kind of cannons? In yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or are we just being grumpy or what? Uh, and then uh, how is, hundred... is it, are, are we grumpy because we're not out there looking for it too? Oh, you bet. We don't have the do... we don't have the support and the electronics to go out there, so we're a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah if I had it, I'd go out there too. I, I would smile a lot more if somebody gave me a magnetometer, <laughs> big sky side scan. And well, I'm not saying have a that boat to put it on now. Well, doesn't it come with a boat? Is that? <laughs> No, I'm I'm glad people are out there looking, and uh, so here here we go. A 104 year old telegraph machine was recovered from. Lu- I was going to say Louisiana. It's not Louisiana. Lusitania. Lusitania shipwreck. Oh wow! Time to go to bed. Uh, a telegraph machine from the RMS Lu- Lusitania shipwreck off the coast of Cork County was raised in 2017. The ship was torpedoed by German U-boat on May 7th. 
1915, causing the death of 1,198 passengers and crew. Ian McGarry of uh, Dungarvan County, Waterford, working under license for the Marine Ministry of Heritage, discovered the machine. He'd been diving at the site for 15 years, more than any other diver. He completed this operation, having previously brought up the pedestal from the bridge telegraph machine. Uh, McGarry, along with the wreck's owner, Greg Bemis, a U.S. multimillionaire venture capitalist, recovered the ship's British, uh, the ship's bridge telegraph machine in 2017. On May 7th, 1915, one year after the outbreak, uh, they go, okay. And they go into the details. Um, so this is just to talk about the telegraph. Is that it? And the supposed illegal downing or sinking of the ship. Yeah. It was reported to the German, though, it was carrying munitions, my understanding. Yeah. Well, and that's always been one of those things. I mean, we, we do wars, and then we try to have rules for the wars, and then we use people breaking the rules of the wars to add more people to the war. So, uh, yeah. It's a really good article, though, quite extensive. A lot of good pictures. Yep. And video, actually. Yeah. That's worth a look-see. But the key items to me was he owned the wreck, multi-billionaire. So you got the coin, you can do a lot of things. Yeah. Well, and I think he's been one who the people were trying to fight him on what he was going to be able to do with his wreck that he was given. Like he, he had, well, given, he he bought the rights from somebody else, I believe. And uh seemed like he was uh, running into a lot of resistance. How deep is that one? I don't remember. I didn't see any reference to how deep it was. I didn't. I want to say this one's fairly deep. It's not recreational range, but it's still diveable. Why was I saying 200 to 300 feet? Uh, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Yeah, you got to fast. That up, I was curious about that. Uh, I'll let you go and do that. It's one of those you can never find it when you want it. No, it takes a little bit of time. No, but. That's because I'm looking for it. I can't find it. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll never come up. Uh, And then, so that does it for Scuba News. We do have a uh, a kind of a video of the week. This one was from uh, Scuba Diving Mag. Uh, It says, uh, recreational divers give us a rare glimpse of the HMS Steuburn off the coast of Malta. It almost makes us want to get tech qualified. And they have a link to the video. And I I watched the video, and it was actually uh, pretty good. So worth taking a look at. Is that the one that was sticking up? Yes. Yep. That's the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yep. But these are much, much better pictures, too. Yes. Oh, excellent. But look at the, the both the corrosion and the sea life all over this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're getting the, some age on some of these wrecks now. As well as the bi- divers diving them. <laughs> Uh, those are, yeah, that's uh, worth a look. See, even the Lusitania one—that's a good article. That was quite interesting. Yeah. So we'll have those in the show notes. If you like to get the show notes just a little bit early, uh, you can become a Patreon supporter. We'd appreciate the support if you can, by any way, 
do it if you get any value out of the show. You do that by going to www.scubaobsessed.com, click on over the Patreon link, and uh, donate uh, what you think it's worth and what you can. So it's Matt, invaluable. It's invaluable. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> it's a lot of money. It's, a, it's, a, it's at least uh, $2.50. If only one tip saves your life, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, then it keeps you interested in diving. You enjoy it. Kills the time. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we need to do some sort of campaign if we get more uh, people to donate. We'll have, you know, we'll have to add uh, air horns back into the show. We'll just sneak them in randomly. Yeah, so when you're driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're driving. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, instead of it being, uh, <laughs> instead of it being tugboat horns, it'll actually be semi horns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, have, have a disclaimer about not being responsible. Yeah, it's a reaction. <laughs> we did have some people ask that we put the sounds back in, but uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. But the, it the, it's proportional to the quality of the, your your uh, car stereo. I had uh, an old uh, Explorer, and the stereo had seen better days uh, before I had gotten it. So, you know, the horn wasn't you. You didn't mistake it for anything. But you have a a car with some really nice set of speakers and a subwoofer, you, you, I could see how you might anticipate that or misinterpret that as a uh, semi coming on you. Uh, yeah. And then something we haven't done in a while is we'll maybe read a few uh, views that people have left. We certainly appreciate them. If you're, in, you know, if you can't donate, then how about you leave us a five-star review? And I say that and now here the, my, my internet slowed down to a paltry speed. Yeah, we'll come back to it later once, once it loads. Uh, Mac, do you have a, uh, a safety story for the week? Well, I have a scuba diving safety tips. This is from Dan. Uh, they're actually very good. And a lot of times you think it's repetitive, but it never hurts to repeat the items because we're all human. We make mistakes and we do forget. And even though you may forget, maybe your buddy will remember. Uh, so scuba diving safety tips, all diving involves a risk, a degree of risk, because after all, we are air-breathing mammals who have no sensible reason to be underwater. If we accept this premise and admit to ourselves that we are voluntarily entering an alien environment, we are more likely to acknowledge our diving with sensible degree of caution. We must also acknowledge that we totally rely on our equipment while diving. The safety hints apply to all dives and should be read in addition to those hints for specific types of diving. Number one, of course, is be trained by a recognized agency. Such training will make you aware of the more common problems you will face underwater and how to reduce the likelihood of these problems occurring. Be medically assessed, assessed by a doctor who has appropriate training in diving medicine. Some medical conditions are not compatible with safe diving while other conditions may allow you to dive safely with cautions. Thoroughly prepare and check your diving gear prior to diving. Rely totally on your equipment while underwater, so what's the problem? Choose dives that match your training, experience, and confidence level. Always dive within your comfort zone. Listen to your inner voice. If you do not feel right while underwater, or you feel you have exceeded your comfort level, abort the dive. 
When you first reach the bottom, establish neutral buoyancy. Ensure your ears are okay. Check your air status and your depth. Secure your weight belt or weight pouch. Signal your buddy you're all okay. Make that a standard action plan for all your dives. Watch your ascent rate on all dives. You should never exceed an ascent rate of 10 meters a minute when diving shallower than about 30 meters. Ascent rate of 5 or 6 meters per minute is recommended for the last 10 meters of ascent. Complete safety stops on all dives that exceed 30 feet. Safety stops assist with the reduction of excess nitrogen, which reduces the risk of DCI. They also slow your rate of ascent by forcing you to stop for a period of time. The rule of thumb is 3 to 5 minutes at 5 to 6 meters, which is basically what, 6 to 15, or 15 to uh, 18 feet. Mm-hmm. An additional deeper stop of 2 to 3 minutes at 30 to 45 meters or feet if you're doing deeper dives. Always dive with your buddy. Your safety and enjoyment will be enhanced by having a companion while underwater. Plan your dive. You and your buddy should agree on depth, time, air cutoff, safety spot, uh, stops, and if somebody wants to go up, you abort the dive. Plan your dive so you surface with a minimum 50 bar. Don't look at it, of it as wasted air, but as insurance against the possibility of some emergency that causes your air consumption to increase. If you have had a layoff from diving or you've been unwell, do easier dives to regain your confidence and skill. Revise your skills regularly. Practice such survival skills as mask clearing, regulator removal, and air show, uh, sharing regularly. Log your dives. The record of your diving history may come in very handy should you ever seek and need higher levels of training. It's also a record of diving history may come in very handy if you are injured. Then they have an idea of what you have been doing currently and in the past. And that's it. Good. I mean, all good points. And nothing you don't already know, but never hurts to repeat it. Well, I haven't gotten any diving in, and I don't believe you have, but has anybody else in the last week or so? Mr. Bob has. I think he went to Gilboard to the meet and greet. Ah, yeah, I saw that the uh, meet and greet was going on. And I know they've got something planned for the, uh, I believe it's the Ironside this weekend, weather permitting. Oh, I take that back. Kevin and them and uh, Amy, they got out to 16 and got some very nice video. And I think that was, uh, Amy was doing the video this time. Oh, excellent. Yeah, surface temperature was about air temperature, and they got chilly on the way down. But the visibility they had the other day looked very, very, uh, looked to be 20 feet at least. Then the silence. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about next. (laughs) I've got all my gear together. I'm, I'm at least in, I can see the daylight. I can see where uh, I'll have a chance to, to do that. Uh, well, I intend to be in the water on the 18th. It's next week, or week after next. So I I should start my season by then. And it'll be pawpaw, I know that. The river is atrocious. It's just like, I mean, mud. 
no viz. Mm-hmm. Oh, back to Paul Foster. Yeah. Well, we know River is going to be out of out of any potential for at least the next two weeks. I don't think it's had any semblance of uh, normalcy for months. No, no. I and and we're, we're hitting that time of year where you have people. There's going to be too much traffic. We're into May. You know, usually the about this time is when we're finishing up in the river and really getting uh, into the big lake. So. And I imagine that's what's going to Well, you figure more. last dive, well, not last, but the second week in December, we dove pawpaw, maybe third week, getting ready for the New Year's dives. We mm-hmm. had boat traffic. We had fishers out there, fish people. So it never stops at pawpaw. They're always out there. Always out there. Let's see. Do we have anything we need to promote, anything coming up? Well, if anybody was near, they can go to the Morton House on the 14th. They're having a program on What Lies Beneath Treasures of Pawpaw Lake. And not yet, but it will be August or September 28th. We're going to have uh, Taurus Lysenko talk about the aircraft carriers and the, sh- and the aircraft they have recovered from Lake Michigan. That ought to be extremely entertaining. And he'll also be exciting since he just finished a book on the last 30 years of recovering those wrecks and those ships. So that could also be entertaining. Cool. Okay. Um, well, I think, I think it's, uh, we've been trying to avoid it, but I think it's that time of the show. Excellent. I am sitting down. I don't have any drink in my mouth, so I'm good. Okay. This is one where I think that it's, uh, we'll, we'll call this like an uncle episode where I'm just going to keep them coming until you cry uncle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let the spectators there give you a little sign up or down with a thumb or something. See, and and I'm afraid this might be one of them where nobody call uncle. They may just enjoy it too much, which I don't know if that's a good or a a bad thing, but uh, has that ever happened? uh, No, no, I don't think it has. So these are on some of our, and I alluded to it earlier in the episode, or maybe it was off the air. I can't remember now, but uh, this is the profession that everybody loves to hate. And that, so this is our, uh, <laughs> we call our annual uh, lawyers episode. So, so here we go. As a lawyer woke up in the hospital after surgery, he asked, why are all these blinds drawn in here? The nurse answered, there's a fire across the street. We didn't want you to think the operation had been a failure. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? A bad lawyer might let the case drag on for several years. A good lawyer knows how to make it last even longer. Um, and then, then here we go. Here's one. Uh, it says, what's the difference between a vacuum cleaner and a lawyer riding a motorcycle? The vacuum cleaner has the dirt bag on the inside. <laughs> uh, uh, how many lawyers are divers? I wonder. I, I don't know. I know there are a few because we've uh, we've we've talked about them on the show, and they're they're usually helping divers out. So, and then here we got an attorney was working late one night in his office when suddenly Satan appeared before him. The devil made him an offer. I'll make it so you win every case that you try for the rest of your life. Your clients will worship you, your colleagues will be in awe, and you'll make enormous amounts of money. 
but in return you must give me your soul, your wife's soul, the souls of your children, your parents, grandparents, and those of all your friends. The lawyer thought about it for a moment, then asked, but what's the catch? <laughs> and then I, then I <laughs> yeah, yeah, Derek's got one. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll insert his in there. It says, uh, what is black and tan and looks good in a lawyer? And it's a Rottweiler. <laughs> We we don't advocate the uh, the harm of lawyers. Yeah, no lawyer, no lawyers have been harmed during the uh, verbalization <laughs> of these jokes. Yeah, so so here's the final one, and this one is water related. It says, "What's the difference between a lawyer and a jellyfish? One is one spineless, spine. <laughs> uh, poisonous, and a blob, and it says the other is a form of sea life." Ah. <laughs> uh. So, <laughs> and we say that in fun. So, oh yeah, because yeah. I have a, a number of people who are, who are lawyers, and uh, one of the people I used to work for at the Skydiving Academy in uh, Goshen, Indiana. Her and her husband; she was a lawyer. Okay, nicest person you'd ever want. Yeah, and yeah. by no means any of that would apply to her. Right. Ever. Okay, now now here, I, I, I said that was the last one, but he, here's really the last one. A rabbi, a Hindu, and a lawyer are all in a car that breaks down the countryside one evening. They walk to a nearby farm, and the farmer tells him it's too late to tow the truck, but he only has two extra beds, and one of them will have to sleep in the barn. The Hindu says, I'm humble, I'll sleep in the barn. But minutes later, he returns and knocks on the door and says, there's a cow in the barn, and it's against my beliefs to sleep in the same building as a cow. So the rabbi says, it's okay, I'll sleep in the barn. But soon he's back knocking on the door as well, saying, there's a pig in the barn, and I cannot uh, shelter in a building with a pig. So a lawyer was forced to sleep in the barn. Shortly, there's another knock on the door, and a farmer sighs and answers it. It's the pig and the cow. <laughs> You're bad. Oh. That is bad. So I'm, I'm just afraid that we might get contacted by a lawyer. Uh, we need some equal opportunity jokes from yes. that side about, you know, because you don't, you don't really hear any lawyer jokes saying jokes. Saying. No. So there's got to be some defendant or joke like that. So if anybody knows, yeah, we want yeah, some we, equal time here. Yeah, we'll, we'll add those in. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.